Hi, I'm Harriet, a mental health professional and educator, and this is Dawn Breaks, the podcast all about finding hope and maybe also healing after reaching rock bottom. This week on the podcast, I have an amazing guest, Victoria, who is joining me, and I'm really looking forward to sharing her story with you. However, it's really important that I say that this comes with a warning. During this episode, Victoria and I are going to be talking about being in an abusive relationship, and that is emotional and physical abuse. And we will be talking a little bit about what might have been happening and issues such as gaslighting, which can happen in that kind of relationship. Given this is the case, it can often be triggering for people if they have been in close proximity to a situation like this. So I just want to give you a little bit of a heads up that this is what we're going to be talking about. But we're also going to be talking about coming through and finding hope. And there is so much support in here if you are someone who's in this kind of relationship and you don't want to be there anymore. So the warning is really to give you time and space so that you're ready to listen to this in a, in a place where you feel safe and you can feel encouraged and also so that you have time afterwards if it has been a particularly difficult lesson for you. Victoria's story is really incredible and I would encourage you to take a listen if you are experiencing this but also from the perspective of someone who might want to support other people who could be in a really difficult relationship like this. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to this week's episode of Dawn Breaks and I'm really excited to invite the lovely Victoria on today who's going to speak to us a little bit about her story. So welcome. Thank you for having me Harriet. It is a pleasure to be here on your podcast and I've been listening to your other podcast sessions. They are amazing stories of hope and recovery so I'm delighted to be contributing. Oh thank you so much. Thank you. That means a lot to me. I really appreciate it. So yeah really happy to have you here today and what I like to do is have a little chat with you about how you're doing today so people meet you where you are in the room So how are you? I am absolutely fine. I live a pretty happy life. Very happy, really. Obviously, life isn't always happy, is it? But we strive for that happiness and are just really grateful every day for the things that I've got. I live in Manchester. I am married to a lovely man. And I have two very interesting, lively, lovely children aged seven and four so yeah and my work is absolutely fabulous I help people who you know are living with somebody else's substance use and I work for myself and yeah I'm pretty happy with myself as well so that's me today good oh that's lovely meet you in such a positive place and know a little bit about Mm. snapshot of where you're at so that's awesome thank you 
So I know you know a little bit about the podcast already and what I like to do is start in time order so we go back to a period when you were feeling quite low or feeling a bit hopeless and then we'll work our way forward to how that worked out and how you felt or found more hope and then moving forward to where you are now. So as much as is comfortable is there a time that you want to share with us that you were feeling very low and potentially having a a difficult time? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, you know, my childhood was okay. I think I had quite a lot of conflict with my parents in my teenage years, but I kind of forgive them both for that because I think that with parenting, you just do what you can do with the resources Mm -hmm. that you've got, do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? (laughs) Um, And and I wasn't that easy to live Mm -hmm. with, but sadly, like, I didn't have a great relationship with my mom and that ended up just in conflict for quite a lot of years. And I left home when I was 17. So fortunately, I had a really nice first boyfriend and I was in a relationship with him for six or seven years and we just had a good life we had good friends and all the rest of it but we were just not particularly this we were just going in different directions a little bit we were mates you know so it Mm. ended up like that but I was grateful for that relationship you know after that had a few years by myself just hanging out with my friends doing a bit of partying yeah and then I met who I thought was an amazing amazing man really yeah I was I think it was about 25 when I met him and he was fabulous he was really good looking all the girls liked him and he actually liked me and I was like yeah this is (laughs) this is amazing you know I was quite happy with myself at the Mm. time as well I had good friends I worked in a theater in my hometown and I also worked in a prison so Mm. in terms of my career I'd graduated from uni I was fine I had no Mm. worries really and then after a few months things just started getting a little bit strange like he was Mm. very he was very like kind and loving and pretty full-on and I didn't realize at the time that there were signs of kind of emotional abuse a lot of possessiveness a lot of jealousy Mm. um, that kind of thing and then it kind of started on one particular night where the physical abuse started and he hit me outside a taxi rank after we've been out And that was the first time. And it was before I actually moved in with him. So when I look back now, I think, oh, you know, like a lot of, I'm going to refer to women because I'm a woman, but I Mm. know if anyone's listening, this happens to men as well Mm. in all Mm. different types of relationships. But I'm going to, you know, refer to women because I am one. Yeah. So, yeah. And then it was so weird. Like there was just this blazing argument and we'd both been out having a drink because you know we were in the start of a new relationship that's what people did Mm. and somebody came out of the taxi rank because I actually hit the floor and she said are you okay I was like yeah yeah just want a taxi just want a taxi then we went back to my parents house and it just carried on and on and on and it was just arguing and arguing and I can't even remember what he was going on about because it happened so many times after that Um, and it should have been a warning sign but then I moved in with him right Mm. the bloody house we moved into was number 13 I mean (laughs) how many many signs 
that when you can like oh, have hindsight and you think oh wow there oh, are certain things yeah. that you, you can't see at the time there can you that's a really interesting point like, at the time sometimes no. you're just in the moment and in the feelings of how good it feels when it's good and that can be quite yeah. in a way well it can and then the next day and it was always three o'clock like when alcohol had worn off and it mm. always happened when he drank right. so I thought that the alcohol was the problem mm -hmm. but now because of all of the work I've done and I was doing this type of work anyway it wasn't as a result of what I went through but it certainly has contributed into into my work you know mm. my areas of interest I honestly thought that when he drank that's when it happened right. but I now know that it's nothing it's got nothing to do with that and I'll explain why shortly mm. um, and then it just carried on from there it was like you know, I was professional, I was good in my work, I had two jobs, I, you know, had great friends, but eventually, I was worn down. So I wasn't mm. able to go out, you know, I thought if I stopped drinking with him, that will stop him doing this. So we had periods mm. of time where we tried it, it just didn't work. And what I didn't see was the other signs of the control mm. and the abuse that was going on day to day. I just thought it was physical abuse and it wasn't. Um, and it was a horrible place to be because I was withdrawn from my friends and my family, you know, and the person that I rented my house off was somebody that I worked with. Right. So I was always paranoid. I was embarrassed about what was going on. I couldn't actually believe it. Mm. it was me you know I wasn't I was a confident outgoing person and I had this good life yet behind the closed doors this was going on mm. um, and I say behind closed doors it wasn't always like that you know he did kick off when we went out I remember seeing a friend when we were in a club one night uh, a local club I saw one of my friends who was male and uh, he gave me a kiss on the cheek and my, boy, and my partner grabbed me up really tightly on the oh, arm goodness. and he, my friend later said are you okay there was other nights where I was just sat with friends having a laugh and he'd come and he'd start shouting in my ear it was just constant so you don't re I didn't realize at the time what I was going through because then afterwards it'd be a different scenario you know, I'm so sorry, I'm never going to do it again, all the rest of it, all like right. the gaslighting as if it wasn't as serious. Mm. I tried to tell his family, they just weren't listening, you know, and it just went on and on. So a few of my friends ended up knowing about it. Mm -hmm. The police were called on several occasions. I think it was my, the neighbour that was calling them. So mm -hmm. you can understand, like, I'm working in a prison. Right. And all this is happening. I'm trying to keep it a secret. Right. And it's like, so I couldn't even step out of my front door without feeling embarrassed and humiliated. Mm. And the interesting thing was, like, I suppose people's perception of somebody that's living in a relationship like that wouldn't necessarily be, be me. Right. Because I was still going out and I stopped seeing my friends, really. But I, I gave as good as I got sometimes. I'm not going to mm. lie. I reacted to it because you kind of try every approach, mm. like apologizing or, you know, leaving the house or, you know, trying to appease him. Or And sometimes, you know, when you're getting assaulted, you kick back. Right, right. There's something really important there about how your, I suppose it's like defense, defense mechanisms, isn't it, that you 
at a, at a very sort of basic level, your self-protection kicks in, that you at some level feel like you have to protect yourself. And however it's coming out, it can be really powerful at the time that it does. It must have been so isolating for you. It sounds really Yeah, difficult. it was. And I think my friend, a couple of my friends started finding out about it. And the reason was because one night when the police came out, the policeman happened to be his friend. Oh, my goodness. Right. So they came in after the police were called because of hearing me mm. uh, being, you know, assaulted. But mm. because it was his friend, they escorted me out of my house and I had to go and stay with my friend. Wow. wow. <laughs> so my only experience of somebody being removed from the house was, be- was me mm-hmm. because every time they came, I backed down because I was thinking of the consequences of people finding out about what right. was going on, like work and stuff, and it affected my career. You know, back then, they didn't have the powers that they had now where they could remove somebody for like, I think it's 36 hours or something like that the laws have changed and Mm. the police must have just got a bit miffed with constantly coming out of me saying I don't want to press charges so yeah that happened so that friend found out and then I had another friend that was going through you know a similar situation and she knew about it Mm. and it all came to light when he went away one night to a gig and I said right I'm going to go out with my friends he must have rung my phone about 40 or 50 times just to shout and have a go and one of my best friends just took the phone and hid it from me so that I could have a good night (laughs) she was like I'm not having him doing this you know so a few more people started to find out what was going on but interestingly like it was me that was branded a psycho from his friends how did that even happen? Like, how, how did think, that work? Yeah, I think because that one time he had a scratch on his face because I tried to get him off me and that's when mm. the police came. So mm. so that was his excuse to blame me for what right. was going on. Right. So, yeah, towards the end, it was, uh, we'd, we'd split up, actually. He tells everyone he'd finish with me, but it was like, I was just like whatever you want to believe. I, I'm absolutely fine with that. Mm. And maybe just wanting to be out at that point. Yeah. So he'd gone out and he came back about half four in the morning, five o'clock with one of his friends. And I had to bolt the door sometimes because I knew if he'd been drinking, he would come in and start being abusive. Mm. So what I did, I um, went to the door and I just said, look, I went to the window and said, look, you can't come in, you're going to have to go. And he was with his friend, but he kept banging and banging and banging. And so I'd always end up letting him in because of the Mm, neighbours. Yeah. And then he came in and assaulted me. He gripped his hand around my throat. He threw things at my head, had a massive bump on the side of my head. So I I got him out of the house. I told his friend to take him away. And I said, look, I've got to go to hospital. So it was about half five in the morning. I rang my friend and I went to hospital and the doctor said to me well it's just a bump on your head like it but it it, had come up like a golf ball near my temple so I was worried about it had nail varnish all over my hair because he poured it all over me and the doctor just said well you can just cover it up with your fringe so me and my friend were like okay and that was it so it was almost oh like goodness. even when you asked for help, right. we're just not giving you it. It's very different now. Very different people are trained. You know, it's mm. nearly tw- 20 years on. Right. 
so then the next day I was like oh god I'm gonna have to go to work so I went to work and my friend said just tell your boss what's going on so I did I told her and I was teaching in the prison at the time so you can imagine I was teaching 15 to 18 year old juvenile inmates and I was going in after having been assaulted so I had to have loads of time off work during this relationship because I couldn't Mm. go in with black eyes and things so I went in and she went right go get Mm. all your stuff take it to his house get him out and go and get go and get sorted and I was so grateful I was just like oh great so me and my my two friends we went we got all this stuff and we were like right so I rang his family and his sister I think his parents were away at the time and I said look this has happened and I need to drop his stuff off and she just went well I can't I met my friends and I was just like oh my gosh like what who was gonna listen to me here so yeah we just drove his stuff got it on his lawn and rang it it's here and I think some of them came out of the house and then that was it and it was just so wonderful to get rid of him out of my life and I mean I've got to be honest there was still some contact between us Mm. you know because I'm I kind of miss the good parts of it and that's why it's hard to leave yeah but now I just think god you lasted two and a half years with that person you know so yeah that's how it came to an end really that's incredible it's such an incredible story when you talk about it it makes it sound like it's a much quicker process than it probably was and there also must have been so many times of just feeling desperately low during that time because like you were talking about there's multiple time and time again of kind of reaching out for help and then almost it being pushed down or you're not being listened to or it being made to feel smaller than it actually was which must have been devastating when you've actually had the confidence to speak up or say this isn't right yeah it was it was hard but at the time I just thought oh it must be me like I must you know you're just thinking oh am I over exaggerating is it not happening but part of domestic abuse is getting gaslighted Mm -hmm. you know the perpetrator tries to make you feel like it's not as bad as it is yeah so you start to believe it so when professionals around you are saying the same thing it is really it does really impact you and -hmm. then when you're the person because he's gone off telling everyone I'm a psycho and it was a small place where I lived mm. I felt paranoid that that's what people thought but actually mm. I know now and I know his ex-girlfriend tried to have a conversation with me about it one night in some toilets in mm. a, a bar in town and I know that she kind of tried to warn me about it right. and I also know that his future relationships were the same right. so for me that was the only relationship the only time I've had a relationship where there's been conflict Mm. my previous relationship wasn't like that and my relationship after that weren't like that so yeah you do start to think gosh is it me like am I responsible for some of this but I know I, I wasn't of course not how could you be you know it's and like you're talking about here about that whole idea of gaslighting I think sometimes it sounds more complicated than it is but it is that idea of someone slowly kind of chipping away at your self-esteem isn't it so that you lose that sense of of what is okay and what is not okay and sort of doubt your own need for boundaries because you feel undermined by the other person and it 
really really unsettling and and can potentially take a long time to recover it sounds like you were amazingly strong and brave to get all these things together and and put them out of the house because it must have been so difficult and really frightening potentially at the time maybe yeah it it was weird though you know Harriet I don't know whether I ever felt frightened it was almost like it just became normality right I mean why would you not be frightened of it and I think it's like that we've got to be careful haven't we with how we perceive people that are in this mm. situation because they may still be coming across as being normal they may still be trying to carry on with the life right. but we also know and I know now through a lot of training that um you know we need to be careful about how we approach people who are living in the situation because actually it can increase the risk to people mm. if people intervene so if my friends have been like ringing him up saying you pig like leave her alone it mm. could have had a, a negative impact on me yeah. so we've got to be so sensitive with the way that we help people that are living with that but it was yeah it was strange I just started to expect certain things to happen mm. at certain times so I knew that if he'd gone out drinking then I, I needed to expect that something was likely to kick off yeah, and after that, really, that, I mean, it wasn't the end. It was the start of that recovery process because people's reactions to it were really strange. Like I told family members and then I found out that one of my family members was having a drink with him in a pub like oh a goodness. few months later. And, he, and he, my ex messaged me to say, oh, I'm having a drink Gosh. with such and such. And, and I was like, why would you on? do yeah. that? Like, I don't yeah. understand but because I think I tried to minimize it even mm. after it had all happened, mm. other people's reactions were weird. Yeah. And then like, yeah, friends, like even one of the friends that helped me move his stuff out, mm -hmm. I was out one night because I used to work in restaurants and things mm. and she walked in holding hands with him. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and I was like, what is going on here so you can imagine right. after going through that mm -hmm. and then living with it and then living in that small town and seeing like this reaction in people it was that part of it that is the thing I remember now yeah and there's so many complex things that you've spoken about in there but there's a feeling of almost not being seen or not fully seen and part of that was you not wanting to be seen and having feelings of you know you talked about the shame of worrying about the neighbors hearing or or what other people might think or the fact that you were working you know in the prison service with adolescents and how that impacted how you felt but and in so many ways it's it's it makes me feel really sad that how much shame you had but I can totally understand that you did because it's how you feel in the situation that you're in and I'm I'm so glad that you're able to reflect back on it now and kind of see it from a a different point of view because it's it was a really traumatic experience from what you've described incredibly traumatic and difficult and and like you say would have taken some time to to feel okay afterwards you know and even just process what had happened and for people around you to begin to process what had happened as well you mm -hmm. spoke about kind of the aftermath a little bit there I'm interested to find out kind of what supported you when you we're getting out of the relationship and beginning to see that there might be a time when you didn't have to deal with this kind of on a day-to-day -day basis what do you think were the things that supported you and helped you to feel a bit more hopeful 
I think it was like, obviously, I didn't have a great relationship with my own family in particular. Mm. So it wouldn't have been them that I would. I mean, I did go to live with them after that, to be fair, and rented a room off them. But I was out all the time. I worked all the time. So Mm. that was fine. But um, it was my friendships. I had a a wonderful group of friends at the theatre that I worked in. I was front of house manager there. I was duty manager. And so that was like a different life. Mm -hmm. That was my haven. And I think a lot of us that worked there that had difficulties, we all had each other. And it was very social. So, I mean, I was there all the way through the relationship as well. So those people there were great. And then I had my own friendship group who obviously I'd seen less of and I started to befriend some new people as well. Mm. So I just got my life back. I like concentrated on my work. I actually opened a business with him as well, which was the the worst decision ever. I had a retro vintage clothes shop, but when I had split up with him, I just thought, you know what? It's just, I'm just going to leave him to that because... Right. I can't work with with this person. Right. And then he went and did whatever he did with it. So it was through my friendships. And then I moved in, in with a great friend of mine for a while. And we just had a really nice life living together. And then I moved in with another one of my friends. And she worked somewhere that was relocating mm-hmm. to Manchester. Mm. And I wouldn't recommend that people run away from the problems. But for me, Mm. we were getting a relocation package. We were already living together. So we were like, she said, do you want to come? And I said, yeah, why not? So we we like, (laughs) we just moved. I couldn't believe we were doing it. But it's one of the best things I did because it was becoming toxic living Mm. there. You know, well, it had been toxic. Mm. So I just wanted to get out of there. Like everywhere you went, there'd be somebody or it's friends or whatever and it's right. not, nothing to do with his friends really although you know mm. friends of men that do this you need to be stepping up that is a message mm. um, because one in four women are affected by this one in six men one in five children are affected I'm just grateful I didn't go that far in a re- mm. our relationship and have any children because I know a lot of people do and we moved to Manchester to be quite honest Harriet I did loads of partying <laughs> I met more friends I just I mean it was great it was we had good times you know sometimes it went a bit too far I sometimes think gosh was a trying to kind of block things out sometimes by the amount of partying we did but to be honest with you I think had a group of people that I really enjoyed the company we had great Mm. times not necessarily you know my best friends all of them but they were good friends you know that we had good times with and that's what I needed because I'd be restricted from that so yeah and then after a year of being in Manchester I met my husband and yeah we got together I kind of like did a lot of testing around the relationship, do you know what I mean? Because I had mm. to know that I could trust him and that it wasn't the same as, you know, like my ex would be. Right, it and was it felt a, a proper, mm. Yeah, it was quite a few years on from that. Um, I think it was five or six years or so. Mm. Was it? No, three, three or four years, something mm. like that. But my husband is a lovely man and he's kind. And, you know, we've been together for 13 years. Oh, he knows, he knows. (laughs) So it was really my friendships Mm. um, 
my husband, my, my partner, like having faith in the fact that relationships aren't like that. Yeah. Also knowing that it wasn't me as well. Because mm-hmm. when you get into a new relationship, I had that hanging over me thinking, was I partly responsible for it? And that's because of the gaslighting. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, and all of that. But I know it wasn't. Mm. My boyfriend takes the mic and says, uh, high maintenance. So like, I'm not <laughs> high maintenance. But I always talk about like how cold I am and like how comfy I need to be and things like that. But he looks after me, you know, and I look after him and that is what a relationship should be like. Right, right. Where you're mutually supporting each other and care about one another's needs. I think it's really, really interesting what you've said there about friendships, because I do think connection and friendships with other people is sometimes the biggest kind of mental health crutch, like when you're really struggling or you're having a difficult time it can be really tempting to isolate ourselves because we're just feeling really uncomfortable or that we don't want to talk about it and you spoke a little bit about that you know when you're in that sort of really toxic abusive relationship that sometimes you did shut yourself away but actually the thing that has really helped you to move forward and and recognize that you weren't responsible for that abusive behavior at all is those connections with other people and it's really powerful I think especially at the moment thinking about coronavirus going on and everything else like connections feels like the thing that has really supported me as well so I really relate to your friends giving you that place to kind of remember who you are and what really matters to you it's almost like your friends can become a place where you go and it just reminds you who you really are and what what lights you up and what makes you happy because it can be easy to get lost in a relationship sometimes So thank you. I think there's so much in that whole process that you've just shared that was incredibly brave and detailed. And I think there'll be so many people who can relate to some elements of that. And it's a really difficult situation to be in. And like you're saying, one that we have to be so careful and so sensitive about. What would you recommend to somebody who is in a situation that they're finding really, really difficult? What would your advice be to someone who's feeling really, really low? Just have a look, educate yourself on what the situation is so that you can name it. I'm not a fan of labels, but I think sometimes when I work with people now and they describe things to me and I suggest that, you know, it's emotional abuse, they've never considered it before. Mm. And that can be really, it can be enlightening, really, that Mm. what they're going through isn't okay. And then you know, speaking, if you've got one even trusted family member or friend, Mm. if you're in that situation that you can speak to who, and ask them not that you don't want them to do anything about it necessarily, but you just need to talk to them about it. I think what happens is when people are in this situation and external people get involved, they often get frustrated, don't they? Because Mm. you're not leaving, but it's not that easy when you've been worn down to think that you can't do it. Mm. And then there's often a risk depending on the, you know, the seriousness of the issue that ending the relationship could be a risk to the, to the victim as well. So we've got to be so careful. So contact, 
the domestic abuse helplines. We've got them here in the UK. We can drop the links in, maybe yeah, Harriet after. Mm. Um, have a look on the websites. They have chats. You can can hide it. You can go in, incognito. You know, if you just want some advice and support there, there's Women's Aid. There's all sorts of different charities that can help. So do that. But I think the important thing to remember is it's not your fault. Yeah. Because I, I did start to think, question my own behavior you know I stopped going out because I thought going out was triggering him to do it I stopped Mm. seeing my friends I stopped seeing my family you know so just try and keep like you just said keep the communication going Mm. and your social networks going if you can and it's hard to talk about it it is but if you can just get some of that social support and it's so important absolutely Um, and you know if you are ever scared of anything just contact the police because the powers now mean that they can make a decision to arrest Mm -hmm. whereas before it was put on me I had to make that decision it was too big Mm -hmm. it was too big a decision to make Mm. you know because I knew it would be my fault so I already felt everything was my fault yeah but now you know if you feel like you are at risk and you're being attacked just contact the police um there's certain ways you can do that as well without actually ringing Mm. and just get that help because they will intervene there's all sorts in place like in local authorities now like multi-agency risk assessment conferences where professionals come together Mm. and talk about cases that are at risk Um, and lots and lots of services can get involved in protecting people yeah in the last however many years it is how old am I 43 (laughs) so so yeah like 15 20 years things Mm. have changed so much and there's a lot of help out there there's even forums on Facebook that you can go on Mm. and there's thousands and thousands of people in them that are living in this situation so again there's something in there about not feeling like you're alone absolutely absolutely and I think that's a message that comes through loud and clear from the podcast about not feeling alone because so much of the time we can feel like we might be the only person going through this situation but it's just not the case everyone you know has challenges and and difficulties and it might not be this particular one it might be numerous things but but we aren't alone and I love what you said there about find someone that you can speak to who will listen and not necessarily intervene unless you want them to you know and someone who can just be there for you and let you speak it out and have somewhere to process it because there's something really important about not judgment but social awareness that when you speak to other people you get a better sense of how bad something actually is because of how your friends react how the people who love you react it helps you to become aware of of whether something is okay or is a bit risky or isn't so good or is really bad you know and sometimes our own judgment gets skewed because of whatever might be happening to us but there's something about that social accountability that's really really valuable and supportive and there are so many people who want to support you and and all these amazing organizations like you were just talking about will I will make sure that all of those are available in the show notes for this episode that so people can access them and and see because it's just really important for that information to be accessible for people so thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's really good to speak to you with the, the expertise that you have. Tell us a little bit, Victoria, about 
where this has led you to and where you are now and what you're, the work that you're doing now and how that's kind of come from the experiences that you've been through. Yeah, I think I was already, I think shortly after that, I started working in the substance misuse field, uh, which I wanted to do anyway. And I worked with young people who were using substances. Then I worked with children of alcoholics when I moved to Manchester. But I really wanted to do some family work. So then I worked in a project where we worked with whole families where parents were using substances. And interestingly, the majority of those parents who were mostly women that access the service had been affected by domestic abuse or were living with it. And one of the things we noticed was that a lot of those women had turned or had increased their substance use because of what they were experiencing. So this is why when we talk about addiction or people in that have got problems, we've got to consider what they are going through and what trauma they've experienced Mm -hmm. to get to that point. Mm -hmm. Because I could have easily gone down that road myself. You know, I was partying, but... Fortunately, you know, it didn't impact on my work. I was Mm. still working. I was really interested in my career. I was going out at weekends. But had I been somebody else, Mm. I could have gone into that daily or uh, whatever dependent substance use. And yeah, interestingly, quite a lot of the women that I worked with have been through that as well. Uh, We did some research on it. I think it was something like 80% of the people we were working with. And we know that seven. 70% in treatment for drug and alcohol use have mental health problems Mm. as well. Mm. So there's coexisting issues there. So I can relate to the people that I work with. And I set my service up, the VESTA approach in Mm. 2017. And I help family members who are living with somebody else's drug or alcohol use. And I teach them effective strategies to cope. I've done this work for 15 years now. I'm trained in the best programs. And I thought, you know what? I want to help people that Mm. uh, are more like me, really, that wouldn't necessarily access local authority services or charitable organizations, Mm. but might want to get some help elsewhere. You know, if people are living with somebody else's drug or alcohol use, they've usually got to take on the take the lead for childcare as well as their own career as well as all the home admin we all have to do as well as all the all the other crap that we have to do you know (laughs) so so I can relate to the clients that I work with because Mm. I've lived with somebody else Mm. who had problematic alcohol use it is not the reason he did what he did because now I know that people who perpetrate violence are in full control of what they're doing so when he was coming home to me and Mm. abusing me was he doing that to his friends Mm. no and that is because I was the victim he was choosing me to do it and I think that is the important lesson that I learned through this Mm. and I've learned through through my own training and development in my career it's very controlled and drugs and alcohol are often an excuse right you know to to cover up what they have done because what we'll find is even though my physical abuse was only when it was under the influence mm. um there was a lot of other underlying abuse going on that wasn't as obvious right in terms of control and things like that 
So yeah, I absolutely love my work. I have worked with women in my private work who, you know, are living with abuse and Mm. some of them haven't really realized that. And I'm grateful that, you know, I can help other people that have been through it. Yeah, it's hard. It's really, really hard work to do. And it's, it's really amazing that people are doing the work that you're doing because it isn't easy, you know, to be dealing with people who are going through abusive situations day in, day out, because it's, it's really, really tiring. It takes a lot out of you emotionally. So it's amazing the work that you're doing. And I think it's also for the people that you're supporting, it's just incredible to have someone with so much knowledge and personal experience as well, because it just completely changes the support that you can give when you have your own experience. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And what's the best way for people to connect with you, Victoria, if they really relate to what you've been speaking about, or they want to find out more about your business and what you do? What's the best way for people to get in touch? You can search Vesta Approach, V-E-S-T-A Approach on Instagram or Facebook, or you can just search for me if you're over on LinkedIn, it's Victoria Seed. And I have a free group called the Family Recovery Club in Facebook. If you are living with a loved one's drug and alcohol use, just come over and join and you can click to that through my Facebook page. So please don't be alone because I know what it's like to feel like you're isolated in circumstances like this so come over drop me a dm anything you need and if if i can't help i certainly can link you up with and signpost to any other services as well amazing thank you that's so supportive sometimes you just need a way in don't you you need a friendly voice and someone who you can relate to and a way in and then that's opening up the support which is which is what we all need really is that support network so thank you so much thank you for being so brave and sharing it with us because I think there'll be so many people who are going to get so much from this and it's just been really amazing to hear your story and hear what you've been through and your experiences and kind of how that's brought you through and out the other side to somewhere that sounds really positive and and like you're loving your life which is really hopeful and, and, and lovely for people to hear Are there any sort of last minute thoughts or anything else that you thought I really wanted to share that and I haven't had a chance to anything that you want to leave us with? I think it's just for other people Mm. knowing that that has gone on like don't make the person going through it feel worse than they already have been right you know and if you are a man and Mm -hmm. you know that your male friend is doing this and a woman as well, but I'm referring to men because that's my experience. Mm. You need to step up and say something. You know, you need to be saying something. Don't turn a blind eye to it and let that abuse carry on and on and on in every relationship. Mm. Um, And yeah, just if you are a friend to somebody that's going through this, you know, in a safe, in the safest way possible, just reach out a phone call's much, much better or a walk or whatever we can do now than a text Mm. or anything that leaves any evidence behind because we never know whether, you know, texts and calls are being monitored. Mm. So, yeah, it's just that. Just consider the other person and step up wherever you can. 
Right. Um, if there's children involved and you're worried, then, you know, we do have to put their needs first. I'm a safeguarding trainer and consultant mm. as well. So if you're worried about a child, you can always, if you don't feel confident to contact children's services, you can always refer a, a, an, an issue in through the NSPCC. And then there's just a form. You don't even have to speak to anyone right. because children will get affected by parental abuse or carer abuse so the best thing you can do you don't even have to tell somebody is get that referral in because what we don't want to do is to get those children harmed emotionally or in any other way if they're living in that scenario thank you thank you yeah I think that's so important what you've just said there and you know about about reaching out I think the easy thing sometimes when something is going on that is really difficult sometimes it feels as if the best thing to do is to turn a blind eye but actually what we're saying here is that it's not it's absolutely not in this kind of circumstance the most loving the most supportive the most kind thing you can do is reach out in a safe way to the person who you know is suffering or struggling and just let them know that you're there and you you know that you will listen if they need to talk and that is the biggest sort of gift you can give someone the biggest sort of leg up or, or reaching a hand out to support someone in a situation like that and is just you know can be really transformational so thank you thank you Victoria so much I really appreciate you joining today and and sharing your story it's been really really powerful thank you for having me Harriet it's been lovely to be on the show um, and I hope that you know it just helps one person and if it Absolutely. does then I'm completely happy Absolutely. I know it's going to do that. Thank you. I'm so grateful to Victoria for sharing her story this week. I know that it emotionally, it can be really, really tough to revisit a time which was as difficult as the one that she described. There are so many amazing reminders in here that you are not alone and there are so many people out there to support you if you're going through a difficult time. So reach out, connect, communicate in whatever way feels safe to you. This week's episode was also the last in the series and I am so proud of everything that we've achieved this series and so grateful to every single one of my guests that I've had on over time. So I'm going to be taking a couple of weeks break before returning with some new episodes for you and series two which is really exciting. And if you're looking for some things to keep you hopeful in the meantime, I've been putting together with my guests from series one, a hopeful playlist, which you can download on Spotify now. If you search for Dawn Breaks playlist on Spotify, you'll find it. And we've also been really busy designing some hopeful t-shirts, which will be released very shortly on our main website, which you can find at dawnbreaks.co.uk. So keep an eye out for those because they'll be launching very soon. Otherwise, take really good care and you'll hear from me in a couple of weeks time.